2: and now live on 670
3: the score and the odyssey app it's gabe ramirez and score senior football analyst hub arkish that it is the dynamic friday duo if this were 10 years ago hub and i would be heading to the nightclub right around this thing get his get his mic on over there there you go you're on now hub i got you what'd
1: you say I said it would have been about 25 years ago for me, but you know, oh. it's a good idea, though.
3: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sure 10 years ago we'd still be getting it in. That would be the case, right? Uh, but we are hanging out uh, until 9 o'clock today talking Bears football. Got some great guests on the way. We've got David Hall hanging out with us from the morning show. That'll be at 6.20 in just a few minutes. We're going to talk some Bears, but most certainly going to talk a little Conor Bedard. Uh, we have Carmen Vitali hanging out with us at 7. And then... Uh, at In the 8 o'clock hour, we get to go to Will Raggetts of Sports Illustrated. He covers the Vikings. He's going to be hanging out with us, giving us some insight on the opponents as well. But right now, we get the Riff Hub. You're looking at this Bears team. They're they're two-point underdogs at home. So mm-hmm. we know it's a five-point swing right there. No Justin Jefferson, though. So what, is, what does that say? Does it say that the Vikings have a better team than most people think? Because they're 1-4 as well. Or that the or people are a little bit too too high on the Bears in the present.
1: You know, it's it's not even just Justin Jefferson. Look at the Vikings team; they're one and four, just like the Bears. They've played just as badly as the Bears. They've been very unimpressive for the most part. And I can't make any strong arguments with what we've seen so far for saying, "Oh, I got to pick the Bears." But I don't understand why the Vikings are a better choice, particularly playing here. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know, it's just it's the gambling lines and and. If it did make sense, a lot more people would win and less people would lose. So <laughs>
3: true. I'm, I, who, who concerns you the most this weekend? Like, let's say if you're if you're if you're looking at this Vikings team, clearly Justin Jefferson is not there. So, who, who strikes fear? into your heart when looking at this and, 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 and this, this team?
1: Well, you know, there's nobody that jumps out. You know, their the running game isn't particularly strong. There's nobody that you got to stop. You know, they got a couple of other decent receivers, and, and they will make plays, and Cousins is playing very well. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, I think the story of the Bears right now is that people need to stay focused on them, on the way they're playing, on whether they're improving, on whether they have the right players in the right position, whether the scheme is working right. I think that they made some dramatic changes on the offensive side in Washington. They definitely call it a very different game. And so those are the things where I would really focus as far as looking at the Vikings. I don't think there's much to be afraid of. I mean, even last, last year winning the division 11 one-score games. So they clearly weren't as good as the record suggested. And now you look at the way they've played the first five weeks of the season, and I don't see anything that you have to be terribly concerned about. I think you have to be more concerned as to whether the Bears, particularly their young players, but even some of the free agents who are just starting to get comfortable in the system now, are they ready to perform the way that fluce wants them to perform? You know, and they certainly were against Washington. And uh, I think you have every reason to believe that they'll play, as well, or even, maybe even a little better this week, the the short buy, if you will, or the extra buy, and then feeling better about themselves, getting healthier in the secondary. They've got a lot of other injuries that are that are concerning, you know, uh, and particularly at running back. We better hope Deontay Foreman doesn't get hurt. Last week, we weren't even sure why he's on the team, but now, yeah, yeah. you know, he is going to have to. You have... mean
3: you mean he didn't like Kari Blazen game getting fifteen carries and,
1: <laughs> I, you know, they did what they had to do and they yeah, got away with it. Yeah. But I, I think at the end of the day, how he performs. And if they can run the ball to force the Vikings to stop both the run and the pass, they should be in pretty good shape.
3: And that's what most people are concerned about, right? You were talking about last week in the Bears and the Commanders. The Vikings themselves had a tough task to going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were down the majority of the game, scored a late touchdown to make it look better than it actually was. Kirk Cousins, you know, 47 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. And I look, I look at that hub and I say, okay, well, their, their run game hasn't necessarily been much to write home about. With Alexander Madison taking over for Dalvin Cook, but Kirk Cousins throwing the ball forty-seven times. It's almost as if they look at the run game, we're dumping it off to the running back as like an equivalent of a run, similar to like Tom Brady back in the day when he would just you know throw slants to Julian Edelman and say that you know I don't need to pass or run the ball. This is what I can do. 47, 47 attempts is is crazy in the NFL. You know these guys coming back from injury is. is is this an ideal situation for them, you know, being tested often so that they can't get their feet underneath them? Or or is it going to be, you know, a, a tough task for them against Kirk Cousins?
1: Well, I think it's a little bit of both. But at the end of the day, those 47 passes really are mostly about they were playing the Chiefs. And, you know, they knew they weren't going to beat them running the football, and they, they weren't doing well running the football. And they had to try and stay equal. They had to try and put points on the board. I think with the Bears, they're going to come in thinking that their are their offensive players are talented enough, just like the Bears feel about theirs, that if they run their scheme, they should be able to put some points on the board. And, and so... You know, this is not a lock either way. I mean, anybody who thinks, oh, great, the Bears are going to get the yeah. second win, no, <laughs> nothing to worry about. No, not after what we've seen the first four and five weeks, even though the fifth week was better. And you look at the Vikings and where they're at, they have so many parts of their game that they're still trying to figure out, too. And, you know, you didn't expect that because they're defending division champs. But at this point, that is who they are, you know, and they've got to be rethinking letting Delvin Cook get away. I, I mean, it didn't seem like a great idea at the time, yeah. but teams make moves that they, you know, they're basing it on younger players and their younger players have not developed yet. And so, uh, you know, I think that's a big part of their problem.
3: It's one stat that I noticed uh, for the Minnesota Vikings that really stood out to me. And, and initially I was like, okay, this is, shouldn't be alarming, but time of possession, they're last in the league. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about getting rid of a Dalvin cook, it's not just to take some pressure off of Kirk cousins, but also to take pressure off of your defense, right? Lasting the league in time and possession says a lot, and Dalvin Cook most certainly could have helped in that in that area. the 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 Bears' run defense hub has, has looked looked better mm-hmm. over the last couple of uh, days. Billings has been able to be a presence in the middle. You see Javon Dexter getting his name called a couple of times. Is this where? is this where you expected the defensive line to be at? Or do you still like that? Like there's still growth there because you expected them to be a little bit better.
1: Well, I think there's still a lot of growth because they have to be better. And I think they will be better. Um, But at the end of the day, the first three weeks they were bad, you you know, just like last year, they definitely played better against the Broncos, which, you know, isn't that tough. Um, But to play as well as they did in Washington, everything about their performance, you know, a week ago Thursday or a week ago last night um, was a little bit of a surprise just because we hadn't really seen any of it the first four weeks. And so, um, you know, I think they have to feel better about the way the line is developing, but there still is a long way to go. There's no question about that. The other thing I I have to throw in, the whole story on Yannick Nagukui is that, well, he's terrible against the run and all he does is rush the passer. Mm -hmm. He's played the run pretty well. Yeah. you know he, He's obviously come here to prove because this is just his one-year deal. Now, maybe he gets re-signed here. Maybe he goes elsewhere. But if he's ever going to get the kind of contract that a guy with eight or more sacks in his last four seasons deserves, he's got to play the whole game. And, and I think the first four or five weeks, he's made some significant plays against them against, for them against the run. And so I think that is part of the improvement, too.
3: I do a show. It airs in three hours or so. It's called Bears Unleashed on Fox 32. And we are asked to give a, a clean energy player of the game, someone that you'd be watching. I said Yannick Ngagwe as well, mm-hmm. and I said, "Listen, you give him the big bucks. He's 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 trying to get himself another contract. And Kirk Cousins is is turnover prone, mm-hmm. so this is a big game for you to step up. But you know, you mentioned how you know that Yannick is a guy that has performed well in the run game as well, not just the pass game. And you could say the same for like a guy like Andrew Billings, mm-hmm. where you know, yeah, you got him to stop the run and be a big presence there, but." The amount of pressure he's been able to put up the middle has been impressive.
1: We talked about a lot of the draft choices and the free agent signings, and the one guy that nobody said much about was Billings. He's been their best defensive lineman the first five weeks, and he certainly was in Washington. You know, and um, I, now you know I think some of this also has to be looked at as you know evaluating Ryan Bowles too. And and some of these moves that you can't judge the draft picks after five weeks, but you look at the free agents. I know that Tremaine Evans, there is some concern that he has not played like a whatever it is, $70 million player, $60 yeah. million player. Um, but uh, TJ Edwards has played very well. And, and they've been doing this with one starting safety and actually none of their number twos, you know, or not most of them anyway. What I'm most interested to see on Sunday Maybe both safeties play. We still don't know, but we're hoping they'll have at least one, and that's better than what they had last week, or, you know, a week ago last night. And the secondary, I think, definitely will be better, and 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 not at its peak yet this week. But the improvement that they make in the secondary, I think, is going to be one of the big stories on Sunday.
3: Well, that's interesting, Hub, because you know a lot of us have felt that you know the secondary has done a pretty pretty good job over the last couple of weeks. So when we we insert these guys, I guess. From a fans standpoint I'm trying to visualize or understand what that gap looks like. what are the things we got to be looking for where that should be there should be improvement on with like your starters in there
1: well, you know every one of these I call them kids, young men, whatever yeah. they're NFL pros you know they're all supposed to be able to play, but we all know that some are better than others, and when you don't have your starters and you 've got second and third stringers not only getting more playing time but doing things they 've never been asked to do before. I've been really impressed with, with how well the secondary is held up, I guess is the way I would put it. And uh, you know, I think now as they're getting a little healthier, this could turn out to be really the strong part of this defense, maybe this team, we saw the defensive line play better against Washington. The linebackers should be pretty good. I, I think out of, out of all three position groups, it's the linebackers who've impressed me the least so far, only because so much more was expected. Yeah. And if they now as a group start to perform in the next couple of weeks the way you expect them to and, and, and the defensive line improves and the secondary just gets healthy, this defense could be pretty competitive the second half of the season.
3: Yeah, I mean I think going into the season most people thought the secondary was the strength of the Bears defense. You thought the second uh group would be the linebacking core and then obviously everybody still uh like just didn't have a, a complete opinion on uh, on the defensive line. But you see guys like Jack Sanborn, you know who played well last year, and then steps in in certain moments and again, even in the limited playing time, he finds a, he finds an opportunity for you to call his name. Mm-hmm. Play behind the line, something something like that. What do you think it is that that gets these guys in those positions? Because we saw in the beginning of the season, I can't remember who it was, but like didn't record a stat. A guy that had played a bunch of, you know, a bunch of time on the line. I forgot who it was. Maybe it was DeMarcus Walker. I can't remember. But Jack Sanborn always seems to find his way around there. Like what can you say to just that added level of tenacity or that added umph that, you know, not only Ryan Pohl seems to find like you mentioned, um, but but what is that in your mind when you're watching that on the field?
1: There's two things that we talk about when we evaluate defensive players uh, you know one is athleticism and the other is is effort it, it, it's desire it, it's toughness those are three things. But at any rate, those are the key things. And, and you know, Sanborn, there's a reason he didn't get drafted. You know, he didn't didn't show the athleticism. He didn't look to be the special player. But what you learned early on with him is that he has the, the effort. He has the toughness. He, he 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 never stops. He never gives up. Great point. And, and it makes him a pretty good football player. I think that part of what's wrong with the linebackers is, is that when you're trying to cover both the defensive line and the secondary, you're doing a lot more than you were expected to do. And so as the secondary gets healthy and as the defensive line improves, I think you're going to see all three of these linebackers play better, although TJ has has played very well. Uh, you know, he, he, he's not a big play guy. He's not going to get you a lot of sacks. That's not what he's there for. But he will play the run, and he will always be where he's supposed to be, and he has been the first five weeks.
3: Yeah, I know. He's like one of the leaders in, in tackles. He's mm-hmm. always at the, he's at the top right now. The Bears' defense, I mean, it's just going into the season, the The expectation was that they were going to be better than they were last year, and obviously they were a bottom five defense. And And the thought for me personally, Hub, was that if the defense can hover around, it has to be better than average. So I need, I needed it to be, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th, then that's when I could get behind the Bears winning a bunch of games mm-hmm. or more games than anyone would have expected. Just because, like we saw last year, you know, a lot of times the games was, were lost in the fourth quarter late in games. And it seems like this year, you know, still giving up a ton of points. It's not as much as a, of a revolving door as it once was, but it does feel good to see the guys start to come back.
1: You know, and I think the other thing that you have to, you know, at least consider that these are all smaller, but very important technical parts of evaluating whether it's the defense or the offense. And for the defense, um, the first three weeks and the second half of week four against the Broncos they got beat so badly in time of possession that the defense was on the field so much. That's why the second half was always worse than the first half, because they were they, they were, you know, getting exhausted. That didn't happen as much in Washington. You know, the, the offense was able to control the ball. A lot of that on offense is part of your running game. You you will eat more clock running the football than you will throwing the football. And and so, you know, there are so many pieces And this is a lot of what Fleuse has been talking. This is why I think in some respects I'm not sure Matt Eberflus has been treated real fairly in the first five weeks in his evaluation because it's still so early. They're still teaching so much. They're trying to develop so much, and they've been trying to fix so much that when when one part, one key part, let's say your defensive line isn't working, it hurts everything else on that side of the ball. On offense, when the quarterback isn't working, and I know he's 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 played much better the last two weeks, but you still have to evaluate the entire five games. And, and when you're when your quarterback isn't there yet it's going to hurt the entire offense. I think one of the reasons the running game struggled as much as it did the first 2-3 weeks is because Fields was playing so poorly. Suddenly as Fields is playing better the last 2 weeks, the running game is getting better. So they have to develop as a complete unit. You can't develop one group at a time.
3: Yeah. As goes Justin Fields goes the Bears. He's Hubarkish. I'm Gabe Ramirez and we get to continue this Bears conversation with a sprinkle of Blackhawks. Morning host David Haw He's going to hang out with us next and wonder his evaluation is up Everflux after 5 weeks we'll talk and discuss with him after this it's Gabriel Hal Hubarkish
0: Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
3: Hey, on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score.
0: Bullion Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Blackhawks win the NHL lottery. Bedard on the way. Get out of here. Get
2: out. Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard. All of a sudden you get lucky and you get Connor Bedard and the buzz around Chicago would fit been great again. Bedard Bedlam all over town. That's Hockey Baby. Everyone's been talking about Conor Bedard. He's obviously got a lot of pressure. Lots of expectations. He's had a lot of pressure here leading up to the NHL. This is like getting Sid the Kid. This is like getting Connor McDay. This is the equivalent of getting Wayne Kretzky. I know this is that big.
3: We're back, live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. Hanging out with Hub Arcus here on a Friday night, and you're listening to a Four Seasons heating, air conditioning, plumbing, and electric Football Friday presented by your local Ford Dealers and It's Not a Game Illinois.com. Of course you just heard those uh, two iconic voices opening up right there. Malayan Chicago Sports Friday That's Car. We get half of that right now. Joining us right now on the Circuit Resort Casino hotline. Circuit Resort Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports. Book. I hope I hope you ask for a raise after that, you know, because now you're big time. You know, you hey, hate Gabe, it. I don't know if you're imitating me or
2: Mulder, but either way. <laughs> Very weak. Very that was weak. weak. I thought that Not, was good. Neither voice sounds like it, but okay. I appreciate the. First of all, when I did that, when I was on with yeah. you, you liked it. When I did, I filled <laughs> in for Mully, and now now I get crap for it on a Friday. Well, I think you might be mocking my hockey uh, love there a little no, bit. You know, no, no. Gabe, you know you know me. I am all about hockey and marathons. That is my. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's my forte.
3: It's a cute, it's a cute tour of the city. This is a
2: cute. You know tour what, Gabe? <laughs> before we get going on hockey and bears and all things Eberflues, I have to say this: you were a great guide. We had a terrific time Sunday morning in the lead vehicle for the Chicago Marathon. It was a tremendous experience. Both you and I witnessing a world record firsthand.
3: Yep. Um, what well, was, bo- was a boring race. I want to be very clear: boring race in terms of competition and races within the races, but still memorable because you got to see somebody sprinting for two hours
2: boring to you i love the crowds it was my first one i was like this is the greatest way to get around chicago no traffic no lights <laughs> big crowd everybody's happy to see you go by the crowd was a tremendous so i i really i really enjoyed it and i can't wait till next year
3: all right next next time you're late to work you just run and and, and i'll follow you in a car i'll be in front of you in a car and we'll go straight <laughs> all through. Right, all nice right all right david hoff in the morning show here on 670, the score hanging out with us. Before we get into Bears, let's just jump right into Connor Bedard. You know, I won money yesterday on him, scoring a goal. He was plus 200. Couldn't believe he was out there. I figured the kid takes so many shots, he's bound to make one eventually. Um, talk to me more about, not not about necessarily Connor Bedard, and, but more so like his impact on hockey. I think a lot of people still are just, you know, unfamiliar with with that level of impact and what right. he's bringing, not only to the team, but to the, to the league.
2: He made you some money, but the the really the people that are benefiting is, is everyone in the Hawks organization, everybody who cares about hockey. This is a gate attraction. This is the next big thing in the NHL. And if you don't believe it, you missed this week's coverage, first on ESPN, then on TNT. You're going to see it tomorrow night in Montreal, hockey night in Canada. This is somebody who is transcendent in terms of being an attraction. His skill set is really uh, unbelievable for somebody who's 18 years old. So what he does on the ice is just instinctive and innate. He's got a shot you can't teach your coach. It's just you're born with it. And he is somebody that is, we talk about in football, the great multiplier that Justin Fields needs to be. Connor Bedard is that. He's already the best player on the Blackhawks, and everybody on the team is better because of his presence. So the Hawks immediately become more relevant. It's an organization that needs a reset. They've been through some difficult times of their own making. But now it's a new day. If you were a Hawks fan disappointed, disillusioned by the past, you're entitled to those feelings. If you're still angry, I get it. But find some room to love the Hawks again because you're going to want to be on this bandwagon. It's going places, and it's it's because of Connor Bedard.
1: You know, Dave, the, the way I can confirm, I, you don't need me to confirm it, but the way I can agree with it, I guess, is the better way to say it. I still have, of course, my Bears tickets and my Cubs tickets, but I let my Blackhawks tickets go about four years ago. I, I just couldn't continue spending that kind of money for games I wasn't anxious to go to. I have watched all of both games so far, and 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 when I hear the name Bedard, I immediately you know, check to read or, or, or listen to whatever they're talking about. The one thing I have to tell you is really surprised me about him, though, I just assumed that he was bigger than he is, Uh, you know, and and I wonder how he can be as dominant as is being predicted without more size. Maybe it's not necessary. I I know that there are other great hockey players who aren't huge, but um, he's kind of small. And and I hope that that isn't going to hurt him against some of these top defenders.
2: You know, Hub, that's a great observation. I think when you think of that, it's a bigger concern because he does play the center position where he does have to play both ends of the ice. It is a two-way game, and he's got to be as responsible defensively as he is aggressive offensively, and he just has that natural shot that he's going to always be shooting on goal. The only other comp I would say is that while it's a great point, it's also worth remembering that Patrick Kane was pretty slight, and he made his debut in 2007. Uh, which was you know, 16 years ago this month. And we had similar concerns when he broke in. And then we saw the way that he protected himself from those big hard hits. We saw the way that the Hawks protected him from getting those. And we saw the way that he kept the puck on a string and never seemed to be out of control. of Bedard will mix it up more than Patrick Kane did, but his smallish frame shouldn't shouldn't mislead people into thinking that he's fragile or injury prone or can't take the wear and tear this is a guy that picks his spots and he will be protected but it is maybe a little bit unusual because he's not a big imposing figure and yet he will dominate every game that he's part of and i want to be i want to uh, mention
3: something else we had jay zawoski you know 670 to score alum he was on the show this week and i asked him that very same question he hosts chgo's blackhawks podcast and i asked him that very same thing I said this 18 year old playing with grown men <laughs> And he made it very – he, like, stopped everything. He said, I want to make it very – I, I need everybody to hear this. He is not slim. He is short. He has legs like tree trunks and that he's extremely capable of withstanding a lot of that. But then he talked about the, – to, the, to his elusive nature. And so not only is he capable, you know, in terms of size at his height, but he, he's also elusive enough to get away from it the same way Patrick Kane did. But, you know, impressive. And I, and I think what's also impressive outside of that, right, It's it's his, his puck handling – it's his uh, – his, his, it's like you saw it with his first goal, right, D- David, where he, he just has that knack of being around the net, knowing where to be in certain moments, and, and, and those are the goals that that separates
2: him from the average NHL player. You see it in every sport. Everybody's got an innate sense. In basketball, somebody has a, a great skill for rebounding because they just know where the ball is going to bounce and they have that kind of instinct. In football and bas- in baseball, you know, we can come up with our own examples. In hockey – in hockey, you just know when somebody understands where the openings are going to be created, where the where the teammates are going to be skating, and when they're not there, you know when to shoot. The biggest thing about Connor Bedard so far that stands out to me is that he is a threat to score at any given moment because he can release he can release a shot without much notice, and it's coming at the goalie at a fever pitch. And so, I don't think that we have seen the likes of him in town before Patrick Kane was a much different scorer he was a creative passer and he was a more finesse player I'm not quite sure how Connor Bedard stacks up but when we talk about the length of this of of his career and what he's capable of accomplishing we're comparing him to guys like Patrick Kane who's the greatest North American uh, born hockey player ever in my book and I think that's how high the expectations are for Connor Bedard and yet he seems unfazed by the moment so Hawks fans just buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride, and that already has been a great first week. You know,
1: David, the other thing that I have found very interesting and impressive about him is that whenever he is on the ice, the other four guys are clearly looking to him. You know, everything is about to get the puck to Bedard. You know, where is he at? Uh, you know, can, can we get him the, the next pass? And, and he seems to me, and again, it's just from watching a couple games, he seems okay with it. I wouldn't say he's comfortable with it yet, but what's interesting is that you've got all these other veterans who seem completely comfortable with it. They don't mind the fact that he is clearly the face of the Blackhawks right now.
2: You know, I think the Hawks did a nice job of acquiring players who have that kind of approach to hockey. In hockey, and I think in every sport has a hierarchy, but hockey guys to me have almost a, a better understanding of uh, uh, of where they are in that hierarchy, so you get a guy like Corey Perry, you get a guy like Felino, They're there for a reason, and they're there for reasons that they do have big, they they do have big personalities on the ice, and they're not going to let anybody take advantage of them. But they also understand when they're dealing with it, when they're in the presence of greatness, and I think that's the one thing hockey has a humility that that allows Connor Bedard's teammates to recognize. What they're being, what they're a part of, and I think they feel privileged to be a part of that. So, Connor Bedard also helps himself, Hub, and I think you've seen this. And how many times have we seen Bears players who maybe are a, a bit—they let their ego get in the way. He mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have one. He's 18. He's been raised right, and he understands his place. The humility is one of his greatest strengths, and I think that allows other players, other veterans, to understand what's going on here. We're talking to David Haw from the Morning Show
3: here on six seventy. The Score, Mully and Haw, hanging out with us a little bit, chatting a little, Conor Bedard, but also, uh, ready to talk some Bears as well. I mean, you've had a, a whole week, David, of just assessing the Bears, talking about the Bears with no game on Sunday. Are, are you are you exhausted? Uh, or are you just still clamoring at, at, at the heels for, to to get this Bears game over with?
2: I'm not exhausted, Gabe. I think that it, it's fun. I, I always like these the build-ups to division games, too, because the Bears are, you know, this in a rebuild. You, if they were a playoff team, I think this might get tired because you might get exhausted waiting for a game to come where you already feel comfortable about the outcome. I don't think that there's anything to feel comfortable about if you're a Bears fan or observer. Every week is... Almost a season unto itself. So this week, I think that we're waiting to see how the Bears how the Bears adjust to having their secondary healthy again. Will that mean Matt Eberflus is more aggressive or less because he trusts those guys? What the offensive line will take shape, how that will be with Tevin Jenkins maybe playing more than 37 snaps. And again, the evolution of Justin Fields and DJ Moore. I think that I hope that D and DJ Moore is not for decoy this week. I hope they don't shy away from feeding him the ball early and often because when you throw him the ball, good things happen. And ideally, Justin Fields takes that next step. I don't think they should underestimate the Vikings. I hope the Bears are not overconfident, and people in Chicago understand why that's a concern. This is not a team or a franchise that handles success well. But I'm looking forward to Sunday because the Bears need a division victory and they need to ha- win at home to regain some momentum and actually win two games in a row.
1: Dave, forgive me because, I, as you know, I can talk NFL all night long. But i got to take you back to Bernard for one more question because okay. I think everybody's wondering about it, but everybody's afraid to ask it. I, I don't know if this is even allowed in amateur hockey, but – what's going to happen the first time somebody comes after him and he has to drop the gloves? Cause we know it's going to happen and it's not going to take much longer. I mean, somebody
3: steps in for him, hub. That's what happens. Well, that,
1: that will happen too, but he's going to, the you know, at some point he's going to have to deal with it. Do we know anything about his development, his history as to how he might react to that?
2: You know, hub, that's a great question. I can't say that I know his fight history. I can't say that I know his, his tendencies in terms of when somebody challenges him. I do know this one The Hawks will do everything they can to protect him from putting himself in harm's way and and avoiding those kind of altercations. And two, he does not strike me as a young man that is going to shy away from anything. And he's not doing it with bravado. He's just would step forward, I think, because he believes that's the hockey way of doing things. This is somebody that from the age of five kind of adopted a code, and this is the way I'm going to live. I'm going to be an elite hockey player. I was born to skate. And so, with that comes the responsibility, if you will. It's a weird sport, and mm-hmm. I and I my son played it, and I know everybody has their own examples. But you have to um, almost accept some of these some of these realities. And I think Conor Bedard did a long time ago. So if he is challenged that way, I think he would probably rise to the occasion, do what he could, maybe be a little overmatched. He's 18 and not that big, as we said. But I don't think that he would be overwhelmed, and I think the fact that he would try to represent himself well would gain him, gain him respect because this is a guy who's easy to respect. This is the most polite conversation about some ass-whooping that somebody's about to take.
3: <laughs> you guys, the way you guys are describing, it, he's like, I think he's going to step up to the occasion. He's gonna be, it's like, throw those gloves. I, I, Conor Bedard, I mean, let's be honest, because if you're playing hockey, that's part of the culture. Yeah. you, He's fought before. Let's be very clear. Conor Bedard, I'm sure, has thrown on the gloves and got into it at some yeah, point.
1: I'm sure the Hawks are going to protect him every way they can, but but there's danger there, too. At some point, somebody's going to come after him, and he's going to have to go. Even if he gets beat up, he's going to have to go after it. <laughs> and, and, and you want to protect his health, too, not just expect him to win the fight. I, I wish that wasn't such a... Uh, an accepted part of the game because I think it takes away from the game. I hate it. But, but I hate it. I, I agree I hate, with you. You guys
2: hate the fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I hate the fighting game. I'll go to I a do.
1: boxing match if I want to see fighting. Yeah. You know, I, I'd rather see him play hockey. But we know it's a reality, and particularly, and there are some teams because of who he is, are even going to go after him more. And and how the Hawks handle that and how he handles that is, you know, it's going to be an important part of his development.
2: It will be. I just think the other more, more. I think. Realistic and relevant part of his development will be how, how he handles when guys like Brad Marchand comes after him and tries to get under his skin and see able to keep his composure. Because, Hub, I think that we have seen examples of rookies coming into the NFL or whatever the sport and have uncommon poise, and that's Connor Bedard. And I think he handled Brad Marchand doing that to him very well. And you know that whoever is the agitator assigned to annoying Connor Bedard on the other team, somebody on the Canadiens tomorrow night is going to do that how he handles that, how the Hawks respond to that is going to dictate how well his rookie season goes and how his career unfolds. David, let me ask you this. What do you think
3: is the biggest difference between the way we are going to assess Connor Bedard and the
2: way we have assessed Justin Fields? It's a really good question, Gabe. I think that it's, it's a really good question because in both cases, we will get ahead of ourselves because that's the nature of passionate sports cities. I think what's going to happen is that if Conor Bedard struggles, we're going to have uh, more license to be patient because the rest of the league is in on his greatness. The rest of the league is promoting Conor Bedard from the get-go as somebody who is a generational talent. With Justin Fields, I think that when you look at him being the fourth quarterback drafted in the class of 2021, people are going to be more cautious because of the nfl draft bus factor and so i think with bedard we're allowing ourselves to get a little bit more carried away with justin fields it's more uh heart overhead because you you're leading with your emotions and i think that's okay but i think his first two seasons have taught us that maybe it's best to be a little bit more prudent with our predictions and be a little bit more patient with what we expect.
1: So I, I know I took you away from Justin to get to Bedard, but I have to ask you the question that I get asked at least a dozen, no, more than a dozen times a day. Where are you at right now on Justin Fields?
2: Uh, I am cautiously optimistic, Hub, I, but I, I am not all back in. I think that the first three games were troubling to me. I thought he would make greater strides in the offseason, and year three would be the beginning of the no excuses tour, and he would show that he doesn't need them. But after three games, I think that we needed to see growth in the last seven of eight, you know, seven of the last eight quarters have been very impressive. Mm-hmm. And if he continues that, then that's a quarterback that you can win with. The, and, and I cautioned people this morning on the Mullen Haw show is that let's be fair to Justin Fields and evaluate him based on the criteria we established in August, not evaluate him based on how he compares to Caleb Williams. Because I don't think that's fair. And I think that's going to be natural to want to do that because of the draft realities. But if you stick to the stick to the code and you want to stay disciplined, Justin Fields has begun to allow the game to slow down for him. He's recognizing what how many good things can happen if you trust your receivers and have those faith throws. And eventually, I think he's going to add the component and, and re- remember that when he runs the ball, special things happen. When he gets it all together, I think he can be a special quarterback, so I'm cautiously optimistic that on Sunday we'll begin to see the continuation of a quarterback on his way and headed in the right direction.
1: I just have to throw in real quickly because this is going to be a huge story. I think the Bears, I do believe, are going to have the number one pick. I think it's going to be the Panthers' pick, not theirs. Mm-hmm. And right. so, no matter what Justin Fields does the next, you know, twelve weeks, there's going to be a big decision to make because if 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 the Bears believe that Williams is the next. Peyton Manning, then you got to get him and you can get a lot for Justin. So it it could get really interesting. And, and, you know, what the decision will be, uh, I think we probably all can't wait to find out.
2: That's something we're all going to be watching closely, Uh, most certainly. Hub, I think you know that the decision won't be as difficult as we will make it out to be, because if Caleb Williams continues on the arc that he is on, it will make it very obvious what the bears need to do well yeah
1: i'm not quite as optimistic as you may be i'm just i'm not against him i i, I love the kid i hope he makes it for for all the a lot of reasons right. but i haven't seen enough yet to get positive i i've seen plenty to get negative and not enough yet to get positive but, let's hope it continues to get positive in the next few weeks but
2: how about caleb williams i mean that's what i mean you've seen enough of caleb williams to think that this is the real deal and you talk to people around the league who project and do this for a living it would be very difficult to envision him not being the number one overall pick, regardless of who's making it. I can
1: I can tell you that, you know, we we talk to a lot of people to do our jobs. I have not talked yet to a GM or a scout uh, who has seen enough of Caleb Williams who hasn't told me they think he's the next Peyton Manning. That, uh, that, that's wow. the comparison I keep hearing.
3: That's incredible. Uh, David, appreciate you jumping on with us uh, from the comfort of your couch you know and I know you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna be on tomorrow or no are you gonna jump in on tomorrow I know you took a week off or two
2: I am on inside the clubhouse at 9 30 tomorrow morning we have Dan Plesek at 10 o'clock we have the great Zach Zaidman I'm looking forward 9 to 11 inside the clubhouse talking baseball 52 weeks a year great to talk to you again <laughs> hub great to talk to you Gabe on the, when we're not on the back of a ram truck yeah and I'm looking forward to enjoying my Friday night thanks yeah, yeah, guys yeah, warm, have a great night I know you're still trying to warm up
3: from last weekend uh, but that'll be the case David Hall our uh wonderful morning host here on 670 The Score hanging out with us. Uh, it is Gabe Ramirez. It is Hub Arkish. And coming up after the break, we all know Chase Claypool has found a new home with the Miami Dolphins. But what did their star receiver, Tyreek Hill, have to say about their newest addition? We'll play that for you and discuss the uh, Chase Claypool trade as well on the other side. It's Gabe Ramirez. It's Hub Arkish. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
1: After the end of a good fight,
3: Live with more Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score. What did Tyreek Hill have to say about Chase Claypool now that he's a member of the Miami Dolphins? It's Gabe Ramirez. It's Hub Arkish here on 670 The Score. Do you think Miami will be able to make the Bears regret moving on from Chase Claypool?
1: Hub. I think it's less than likely. Um... You know, uh, the question I've been asking myself for about six months now or maybe just the last three or four months, and again, I'm much more positive than negative on what Ryan Poles has done so far, but knowing that the Steelers were departing with him as quickly as they did, he had over 800 yards and nine touchdowns as a rookie, and, and they traded him a year later. They obviously were anxious to get him out of town. Didn't that concern Ryan at all or the Bears? You know, because he came here, and didn't do nearly what he did there. And then they, they, they had to get rid of him. Now, you know, the couple interviews that I got to do with him and talk to him, he seemed like a pretty good, normal guy, you know, but one thing you learn if you do this long enough is that you don't really get to know these guys in the locker room or on the field. You got to form a relationship and you got to start to discover who they are. And I think now with two failures in just what, three years, I mean, I don't, think that there's anything the Dolphins have that is magic that's going to make it better, especially when they were already in pretty loaded at wide receiver. How is it going to create more plays for him? That's what he was upset about is that he wasn't number one. They weren't using him the way he wanted to be used. He's certainly not going to be used that way in Miami. So, I mean, he's not a bad guy. I I hope good things for him, but I don't really see it happening at this point.
3: Yeah. He's not going to get 10, 15 targets the way he wants, but I think that because, you know, Tyreek Hill's like 5'1 and Jalen Waddle's 5'2, and clearly Chase Claypool 6'4. I think, you know, he, he might get some goal line, you know, toss it up in the air where, where McDaniels will, will be more encouraging of those kinds of plays. But again, that's if Tyreek Hill's not wide open on a slant or Jalen Waddle's not open in the back of the end zone, right? I mean, that's what that is. But 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 Tyreek Hill did talk about Chase Claypool and he he likened him to a to an, a piece of electronic. Listen to this. He's a big dude. Like, what's crazy is, man, like, he looks like a vending machine out there when he's running. You feel me? So, um, very fast, um, very fluid in his routes. So, he's, gonna be a, uh, he's definitely going to be a, um, a huge addition to this team, man, um, whether it's blocking, whether it's receiving the ball, um, whether it's whatever this team needs him to do, man. So, um, very, you know, happy to have him here. Um, I feel like, you know, with the room that we got, like, everybody's competitive. Everybody wants to get better each and every day. So, that's going to help him get better. You feel me? So, um, it's all about, you know, challenging each other, you know, cause at the same time, I'm I'm telling these young guys, hey man, like
2: y'all making my job easy or hey, you feel me? Like, so I'm excited to have him.
3: Hub, but I, I do you think maybe he he like I'm trying to think of the situation and who can tell Chase Claypool or something? Cause clearly he's has a level of arrogance. Level. Not he is I'm saying he's arrogant, but a level of it. And when you get into a, a wide receiver room with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, you're probably a little bit more likely to, to to know your role or your place in that pecking order.
1: Well, two things. First of all, I've never seen a vending machine run, so I'm not sure what that was all about. But
3: uh, A vending machine is fluid in its routes?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was an interesting comment. But, you know, uh, all of these kids, and they are all kids when they get to the NFL, at some point have to grow up. And Chase Claypool needs to accept that all of his problems to this point are of his own making. They're not of the team, two teams that didn't want any more of them. And if, if, but he's what, 23 or 24, I think he's 24 years old now. Um, if he can accept and understand that, that he has made some serious mistakes, he's coming up on, on when the next contract is going to be part of this too. And he hasn't done anything to earn the one he wants. And, and now he is in a situation where he's clearly number three you know, he's a lot bigger, you know, he may be able to do some things the other two can't too, but the other two have already established themselves as top NFL receivers on the best offense in the NFL. And so if anything, there's going to be less space for him now. And so he has to make a significant improvement maturity-wise and mentally before he can make the improvement physically.
3: It's a great point, Hub, because I think a lot of times we don't, the assumption is from a fan's perspective is that, you know, a guy gets, it's like, uh, it's like you're playing Madden you insert him into the game and he is going to perform at that level consistently, whatever it is that your expectations can believe. But the fact of the matter is they are young men coming into the league that do have to grow up in real time. And we never, we never see the moment, right, for 99% of players outside of the ones that are in the media. But we never see that moment where it clicks. The moment, you know, whatever some life-changing, life-altering thing happens where they then become that adult that, that that mid-20 type person that's been through a couple of things and had some, some, some turmoil in their life. And that's interesting because you're right, Chase Claypool, the way he operates, it's very much like a, I'm great, I don't know what everybody else is thinking.
1: Well, and the other thing that is harder for them, people have to understand, even the mid and late round draft choices come that first year with half a million to a million bucks. Claypool, you know, as a, a second round pick, I mean, he, he already has his first four or five million dollars. And now we're saying you got to grow up, you got to, you know, sit back, you got to listen to everybody else. They don't understand. I probably wouldn't have either. If I'd have been in that situation, I would have assumed I was made and everything was all set. And it's a really tough thing for these guys to, to accept. And especially the high picks who don't make it immediately. And so um, I think it is real questionable as to whether he's going to be any different in Miami. I hope he is. He, he never struck me as a bad guy. Right. I, I don't wish him any evil, no, Of course, um, but it's very hard for me to predict anything good happening on his third try when the second one was so much worse than the first.
3: I know. And I, I hope he does figure it out. Right. Cause you want people to earn a living and you want people to mature more so than anything else. Right. You want them to have that epiphany and be like, Oh, and become humble but maybe he just hasn't, maybe this is the, 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 the life experience that humbles him.
1: You know, Gabe, the other thing about it that, that I haven't heard a lot of talk about, and I'm a little bit surprised is that he gets here and immediately it's kind of one not so serious injury bad enough to be sidelined after another. And then early this year in camp, you know, in missing practices and whatever, I I'm sure that there is some concern. We talked earlier about other players about effort and desire and toughness, I'm not saying he's not tough, but the kind of NFL toughness that you need to be a superior player, I haven't seen anything yet to suggest that he's got it.
3: Yeah, and we get an opportunity to see it firsthand this weekend, I'm sure. I know I will. I'll be checking that box score. The other thing, too, before I get out, Tua's not the guy that holds onto the ball and lets you get downfield a ton. He's 15 for 15. That's a lot of short routes that he's getting the ball super out super quickly, so it'll be interesting to see, again, how, they, how do they utilize uh, Chase Claypool. Um, another game we'll be watching closely on Sunday: Bears Vikings. This we know for sure. And our next guest covers the NFC North for Fox Sports. Carmen Vitali is going to hang out with us after uh, in just a little bit. You know, she was really high on, on the Packers last time I talked to her. <laughs> Said they were going to be sitting the top after the after the Jordan Love game against Fields Week One. Uh, so we'll see and hear, excuse me, uh, what she thinks about uh, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears and this upcoming matchup in the NFC North. Karma Vitale hangs out with us next. It's Gabe Ramirez. It's Hub Arkish. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. We get it.
0: Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds?